Vicki, that, that first song, man, that was right on. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Man, that was really good. Uh, well, welcome. Good morning. Um, today, you and I get to start, maybe, not really, Sparky's messing with me back here. Nope. <laughs> He's an old fart, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's try it Matthew's working on me well today uh, welcome to this morning and uh, we are starting a journey uh, it's called on the way maybe not standing still no that's not the sermon series there we go almost there we're starting a series called on the way walking forward traveling backward there we go those are not my feet. I did not have a pedicure. Um, on the way, walking forward, traveling backward. And we're starting this journey. This is going to be our Lenten series slash Easter series as we walk through uh, and prepare our hearts for Easter and the Resurrection Sunday. Let's try. Yeah, it's still not. That's yeah, all right, man. No worries. It's okay. Yeah, I'll take Dakota. There we go. So you're the man, dude. This is Dakota. They have a ginger emoticon right now. That's pretty cool. <laughs> he felt left out. So now, <laughs> but uh, we're going to start this series this week. Next week, we've got uh, Jacob Hawes, who's from Co-Mission Toledo. Uh, and he's going to bring, um, man, he's going to bring a powerful punch next week. So I would just really encourage you, ice, sleet, snow, rain, like the Postal Service, please be here because you're, you definitely don't want to miss what God's going to bring through Jacob Hawes. He's definitely going to bring some great information concerning what's happening and what God's doing in inner city Toledo through Co-Mission Toledo and us and the Northwestern Ohio District Church of the Nazarene. There's some powerful things going on. The church was planted uh, in the homeless, uh, homeless shelter that we raised funds for a couple, about a year ago or two years ago. That church is planted and been going strong, so you don't want to miss Jacob Hawes coming up next week. These are the scriptures for this morning. There's definitely going to be some additional scriptures along with that. Uh, we'll start in Luke chapter 24. If you want to pull out your iPhones, your iPads, your Kindles, your Bibles that are with paper and covers, you know, the ancient way that we do this, uh, we're going to focus on chapter 24 verse 13 through 35, and move through forward. And this morning, our journey, as we're walking forward, traveling backward, starts with a seven-mile journey. It starts with a story that's seven miles long and about three hours. Trust me, I'm not going to preach that long. That was a joke. <laughs> and it was thousands of years in the making. It was the same day Sunday. Luke 24, chapter 13 through 35. It was the same day Sunday. The same day Sunday that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was the same day Sunday that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and a couple other Marys all went to the tomb to continue to prepare the body of Jesus for his completing the burial it was the same day Sunday 
that Mary Magdalene went back to the disciples and said, his body isn't there. It was the same day Sunday that those disciples that heard those words thought it was complete nonsense, except two. It was the same day Sunday that Peter and John had a foot race to the empty tomb to find out if Mary's words were true. It was the same day Sunday when Mary followed along. It was the same day Sunday that most of the disciples cowered behind closed doors in utter fear. That what happened to Jesus Christ, their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, would happen to them. It was the same day Sunday. Two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed disciple, who were in utter despair, were walking their way back to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey. And on the way back to Emmaus, essentially on their way back home to the life they previously lived because the movement of Jesus Christ seemed to be disintegrating before their very eyes. There were a lot of question marks in their minds. And so they travel this road back to Emmaus, and wouldn't you know it, the risen Jesus Christ came alongside these two men. These two men had been doing the play-by-play of all the things that had been happening over the days. You know, as if they were the sports commentators giving the play-by-play of what happened. And Jesus... Jesus, the all-knowing one, asked the question, what are you talking about? What things are you talking about? And those two men stopped in their tracks. They said, are you just a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus, the all-knowing one, now accused of not knowing, having lived through all those things, Asked what things? And so these two men, they shorthand the events of Jesus. You know, we like to shorthand when we we go through, we try to write things down, especially when preaching sermons or you're trying to learn something, you shorthand it. It's disjointed, it's agitated, it's not very clear. And so these two men go through a disjointed, agitated story. They said, Jesus from Nazareth was this prophet of wonders and deeds, good deeds. And the chief priests and the rulers, they arrested him. He was crucified and buried. Now it's three days later. The women went to the tomb and found the, the, the tomb empty. They don't know where he is. They were downcast, in despair, and essentially chastised Jesus Christ. And so we pick up the story right in that moment. Verse 25. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Then enter his glory. How foolish you are. Don't you understand? 
And actually, Vicki kind of made a very good segue in that last, read your Bible, read your Bible. Those men knew the Old Testament, but had not applied it. They had been shaken, but not awakened to what the Scriptures really say about Jesus Christ. And so, interestingly, Jesus, it says, Luke says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. On the way to Emmaus, they were walking forward, but Jesus had them traveling backward all through the scriptures. And in this Lenten series, We're going to walk forward, hopefully, in our understanding of who Jesus Christ, what the Scriptures say concerning Himself, what the Old Testament says about Jesus concerning Himself, in order to prepare us to understand the weight and the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not just for you personally, but for us as a whole. The brutality of and the bloodiness that occurred on that Sunday. Hopefully we will be walking forward in our understanding of what true worship is. And so he started with Moses and all the prophets. We don't necessarily know what Jesus said. This is one of those things in Scripture that I often wondered. There's a scene There's a moment in John chapter 8 where the adulterous woman is saved from her death and not condemned by Jesus. And in that moment, he bends over, writes on the ground, and I often wondered what, what he's writing on the ground. This is kind of one of those moments. What did Jesus say in those few hours on the road to Emmaus to these two men? I wonder if he kind of went back to Micah, where Micah had talked about, you know, The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. I wonder if Jesus kind of walked through the servant songs in the book of Isaiah, which tells about Jesus' suffering, his innocence, his betrayal, the brutality that he suffered, the crucifixion, his death, and the resurrection. But it says, Luke says, it started with Moses. And so I wonder if Jesus went back and drew some parallel lines between Moses and himself, you know. Jesus being born, about a year and a half later, King Herod went out to strike down all the little children two years and under. Moses, he was another one at his birth in which the Pharaoh, a rabid ruler just like King Herod, tried to end the lives of of young boys through the Israelite community. I wonder if Jesus said, you know, Moses' name means to draw out of the water. And all the miracles that Moses had performed, that God performed through Moses, a lot of them dealt with water. Turning the Nile to blood. Parting the Red Sea. Speaking to the rock and outpours water. And Jesus... The living water, the one who 
creates a wellspring of life welling up in the inside. His first miracle was changing water to wine. I just wonder, what did Jesus say? I'm pretty sure one of the things he said was I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. This is the essential prophecy of Jesus Christ from the mouth and the lips of Moses. But this morning and throughout this series we're going to focus strictly on the tabernacle, on the tent of meeting, on the Jewish place of worship, the Israelite place of worship, and what God imparted to Moses. So if you would, now travel all the way back. Go to Exodus chapter 25. This is probably one of the most inspirational scriptures you'll ever read, right? Exodus 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Second book of the Bible, chapter 25. We're going to go back to Mount Sinai for just a moment. And if you know the Ten Commandments that they show on Easter every year on ABC with Charlton Heston, I know I've mentioned this many times before. Moses gets the Ten Commandments, right? But that's not the only thing that happens on Mount Sinai. Not only does Moses get the testimony the covenant. But Moses gets some instructions. He gets some instructions on how to build the tabernacle. When you're a kid and you get Lego sets, there's instructions. When you're an adult and you have to buy like a sink or you buy something you got to put together from Ikea, there's instructions. And my dad calls them destructions because he never uses the instructions. I've learned through watching the contractors at our building, and if you're not familiar, our building is under construction. And I learned watching these men, they started on the outer walls, putting up the furring strips all the way to the ceiling. Then they moved from the outer walls, and now they're framing, they frame the bathroom off the wall. When you build a house, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never built a house, Again, my dad called things destruction, so I was horrible at building. But when you build a house, you dig the foundation, or you dig the basement, and you pour either the foundation or the basement. And from there, you frame the walls. God did it a little differently. Follow along with me on chapter 25, verse 1. Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering from me, from each man who, whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed, dyed red, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light. Isn't this inspirational? Man, this is awesome, Right? You have just heard a word from God. Continue. Spices for, for anointing oil and fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and a breastpiece. 
Then have them make a sanctuary for me. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And this is the first thing that God shows him. Have them make a chest of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits long, cubit and a half wide. A cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet. With two rings on one side, two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They're not to be removed. Then put the ark of the testimony. Put in the ark of the testimony, which I will give them. God does not start with the walls. No. God starts at the heart of the tabernacle. Now, I am not a craftsman by any means. I am not skilled in crafts. There's a, a lot of tape, and it probably fall apart after this. God start, started at the heart of the tabernacle. And in the contents of of the tabernacle. He started in the holiest, most holy place in the entire tabernacle. This tabernacle was to be a mobile tabernacle, to be able to be picked up, dissembled, transported wherever the Israelites moved to. And the first thing that God asked them to make, commanded them to make, was the Ark of the Covenant. And so, it's a box that was about two feet, three feet long, two feet high, and two feet wide. Somewhere around there. Supposed to be made out of wood, overlaid with gold. Supposed to have poles inserted into rings, gold rings, so that they could carry it. That no human man or woman would touch the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, and defile it. But then... We need to go a bit further. Continue with me. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Make two cherubim hammered out of gold at the ends of the cover. One cherub on one end and a second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover and at the two ends. The cherubim are to have the wings spread upward. And God continues to talk about these cherubim. Now, I tried to look for cherubim, but all I found was this little angel. So I figured, well, the best that I'll use are two shepherds from our nativity scene. But I want us to get the idea here for a second. God instructed Moses to hammer out the Ark of the Covenant and the cover. Now, if you know your Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, <laughs> and you know the very, very last scene, it's all about the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Nazis and, and Indiana, and they're tied to the pole, 
And he says, don't look at it. And they open the box and everybody's face melts off. Really cool scene, okay? We, de- we, don't, we definitely don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is anymore. These two cherubim are to be one on the end and the other end. Their wings are supposed to be spread out guarding the Ark of the Covenant. They're to be facing one another but looking down on the Ark, looking at the, the lid. But what's really interesting is what God puts at the center of this Ark. He says... The cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. The contents of this are to be the tablets and scripture tells us also the jar of manna and Aaron's staff. But then he says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands to the Israelites. This is at the heart of the tabernacle. This is at the center. God does not start with the walls, but He starts with the heart. He starts with the heart of worship because that's the whole point. It's His presence that sits right here between the two cherubim. God's presence where he will meet with the people, where he will meet with Moses. And you're wondering, Ambrose, why are you talking about this whole thing? It's just a chest. I have a toy chest from when I was a kid. Big deal. This is God's throne. This is God's footstool. His presence rests right here in the middle of this ark. This is what's behind the curtain. It's His presence. Folks, isn't that what we all want to know? We all want to know that God's presence is with us when the checks don't come, when we've lost the job, when the marriage has fallen apart, when there's loss of life, when our kids are being bullied at school, when our kids are wayward? Isn't it about God's presence in our life? We want to know that He's there, He's with us. I think that's for all of us. We just want to know God is with us, in it. And quite frankly, this Ark of the Covenant goes before the Israelite people into battle. We talked about the Promised Land last week. The Levitical priests carry this right into the Jordan River and it parts. And it's God's presence that goes before them into the Promised Land. But see, this is to be behind the curtain. This is in the most holy place. And not everybody has access. Folks, 
What does this have to do with Jesus? I want us to take a step back, just one more step back. You don't have to look there if you don't want to, but that's okay. Genesis chapter 2. Excuse me, chapter 3. I have one of those new Bibles that you can pull out just the section that you want. This is after the fall, after Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is after God asked the question, where are you? This is after their eyes have been opened. This is after God has cursed the serpent, the woman, and the man. This is after God has clothed them with garments better than a fig leaf. The end of chapter 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out And he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim guarding the way to the tree of life. We just had a disintegration moment that ripples through history and mankind. And on the east side of the garden, God places two cherubim, not shepherds, cherubim, with flaming swords guarding the way to the tree of life, guarding the immortality, guarding the one tree that they, one of the trees they could have eaten from, but now that their eyes are open, they could not partake with. All throughout Scripture, When we find cherubim, we find God's presence. We find God himself, his glory. And now the cherubim are guarding the way to the garden. Guarding the way to the way it was supposed to be. The story of the Bible is very clear. God is out to take back and restore what is rightfully his. There's a moment after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20. I think I have it up here on the screen. Mary went back to the tomb. She followed quickly after Peter and John. Peter, John, went in, looked into the tomb, didn't see a body. And they walked back home, wondering what happened. Mary stayed behind. Mary stayed behind and wept right beside the tomb. Then, in a moment, she looked inside the tomb. 
And what did she see? She saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one at the foot. If you were a Jewish individual reading this scripture and this text, you would have gone back to the Ark of the Covenant. Your mind would have flashed in a moment of two angels sitting at the head and at the foot, right where Jesus' body would have been. The divine presence of God. And we wonder, we celebrate this thing called Christmas. And we tell this beautiful little story of the birth of Jesus Christ. In a manger. It seems like no one really knew what happened except a couple shepherds. When those shepherds arrived and they looked into the face of the Christ child, they looked into the face of the Holy of Holies, the divine presence of God. Matthew chapter 1. It says, And we will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Folks, the question of whether or not God is with us through the junk, through the hard times, through whatever it may be. God is with you. It's about His presence. And it's about His presence in your life. This divine presence that God started with, the center of worship was Himself. He didn't start with the outer walls. He didn't start with the entrance point. He started with the heart. With himself. Because that's where he desires to be in awe of mankind. His presence in you. That you carry all throughout your life. His presence that goes before you before the battles that you're facing right now. His presence that comes behind you when it seems all a mess. His presence within you. When we look at the Christ child and look into his face, that is the Holy of Holies that God started with, the divine presence. And when we look at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ and we see the two angels, one at the head and one at the foot, that is the divine presence of God. I don't know where you are today. 
but you need to understand and know that God is with you. God is with you. It's about his presence. It's about his presence. We need not question that God is around us, that God is working. But if we do, that's okay. Just know. His presence is with us. So as we travel forward, as we walk forward and we travel backward, back into the Old Testament, back to Moses and the prophets, it's about his presence with us, with you. Jesus, I really do ask that in this moment of silence where our hearts are being pulled in 20 different directions that your presence settles and rests because God That's what it's about. That communion that Vicky sang about, that sweet communion with the Creator, with the glory of God. We don't need poles to carry that because we carry it inside of jars of clay, inside our own hearts. Lord Jesus, I I really ask that those that need your presence and your comforting and your peace today, that you speak that into their life. That though there may be some questions, misunderstandings and misinterpretations, just like the two men to Emmaus, you took time to engage engage with them and walk this out so Lord Father may you engage with them and may we engage with you so that we can come into faith and clarity bring us to that Lord may we always be behind the curtain with you we ask these things in your powerful and holy Name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Folks, as you go today, may you know that the Lord is with you. And that by that, you are a mighty warrior. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. May you love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Cindy.